Inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, I am Trevor Sikamo. With me is Benjamin Solak. We are on pick number six of our guest mock draft series. Ben, first five picks in the books. Not really any big surprises, right? I mean, there was kind of a debate of which offensive lineman the Giants might go, which quarterbacks the Dolphins might go. We had Burrow, Chase Young, Akuda, Jedrick Wills, and then Tua Tungavailoa. Are you surprised at any of those, or was it kind of par for the course? I think, right, I think, and this is the experience that we largely have when we do mock drafts as well, pretty much par for the course. Giants could go a different way, but offensive tackle feels like it makes the most sense. Miami, it's probably going to be one of the two quarterbacks. The Chargers here at six do have different options on the board, so this is probably where we're going to start getting funky. Yeah, this this is a very interesting pick when it comes to not only what could happen with the Chargers, but then the rest of the draft too. So to help us talk about it and make the most educated pick possible, we have Daniel Popper on the line with us. He is the Chargers beat writer for The Athletic. Funny enough, Daniel was actually on this podcast for this series last year. But he was our guy picking for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Daniel, now we're switching it up with you, and we're going with the Chargers. We really appreciate you being on with us again, man. Thanks for having me again, guys. I know you've you've been covering the Chargers now for a year. And I am just going to admit this right now. I've been a big believer in the Chargers. I had the Chargers as a Super Bowl team in back-to-back years. They let me down hard this in both ways. This podcast is shocked to hear this news. I, Listen, I, I'm, I'm, actually, oh I'm actually admitting that. Now here they are picking number six overall, five and 11. Daniel, get us caught up to speed, man. What happened? What was the expectation for this team last summer? And then how did the hell did they end up here picking number six overall? Yeah, I mean, so first and foremost... Derwin James suffered a stretch fracture in his foot in training camp and missed the first 13 weeks of the season. Um, that was the single biggest thing for this team going 5-11 and because you go from having a defensive player of the year candidate at strong safety to, for the first two weeks, Adrian Phillips, and Adrian Phillips breaks his arm in week two, and all of a sudden you have Roger Teemer, an undrafted free agent, starting at strong safety, which is a really crucial position and Gus Bradley's team, especially the way they built this defense around Derwin James. So that was the biggest thing. Um, and then they had injuries on the offensive line. Russell Okung suffered a pulmonary embolism in June, like almost died, actually. Um, and he missed the first eight weeks of the season. Mike Pounds, he's their starting center, had a neck injury in week five and missed the rest of the season. Um, so it was sort of the Derwin injury and then these injuries in the offensive line. That was the biggest reason they went 5-11. And then obviously you had some decline from Philip Rivers. Um, you know, a lot of that was a lack of protection and, and Rivers has never been a guy who's, especially at this stage of his career, but really he's never been a guy who's performed well without protection. Uh, he tends to get a little jittery back there when there's pressure coming and starts seeing, you know, feeling ghost pressure and that kind of thing. And that led to some forced throws and that led to a lot of turnovers. Despite all the injuries though, they were in pretty much every game except for that Vikings loss late in the season. And I think they had, it was either 10 or 11 one score losses. And so they were in these games. The defense was still playing well despite not having Derwin. Um, but Rivers was just turning the ball over at such a rapid rate through 20 interceptions. And, and on, you know, in one-score games, you throw that many interceptions. That's going to be the, the reason you're losing games. Oh, wow. Um, only, only, 20? Real- o- only 20? Only couldn't 20? Be, uh, couldn't be the quarterback of the team that I covered this year, Jameis Winston. 20 would have uh, – 20, 20 yeah. Bruce Arians would have been celebrating in the street. Yeah. So those that, that's really what it was injuries and then and then the turnovers and you know when you factor both those things in you have a Super Bowl contender turned into one of the worst teams in the league. 
Yeah, well, the the Chargers with injuries, I know you've only been covering the team for a year, but it sounds like a pretty common refrain. Uh, now with, with Rivers, you know, gone, they let him walk in free agency. He ends up in Indianapolis. It's as if Anthony Lynn and the coaching staff that's in Los Angeles is going to be okay with the idea of Tyrod Taylor being a week one starter, which... For some, might scream Chargers are trying to tank. Uh, you know, for others, and it seems like Anthony Lynn is definitely one of these guys, given his time with Tyrod in Buffalo. They still expect to be at least decently competitive with Tyrod Taylor as a veteran starting quarterback. What was what was the presence of Tyrod like last year in camp? Because obviously he was added just last year for the first time for the Chargers. And then, you know, from your read on the locker room. Do we think that we can win eight plus games, nine plus games? Do we think we can make a push for the AFC West, be a wildcard team with Tyrod? Or do you think that the team kind of understands this is a bridge player? We're not going to be super competitive this year. We're probably looking at a young quarterback starting in the year's future. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, they, Phillip was on his last year of his contract. And so Tom Tosco went out, saw that Tyrod was available, knew that he had a relationship with Lynn from their seasons together in, in Buffalo, particularly 2016 when, when Lynn was the offensive coordinator, and thought, okay, let me sign Tyrod Taylor to a two-year deal, and if Philip Rivers declines and doesn't have the season we expect him to, now we have a starting quarterback on a reasonable contract for 2020 that we can turn to, and then if we end up picking high, we can get one of these quarterbacks, because uh, you know, everyone looking at this draft class has known there's going to be some pretty good quarterbacks available for them, you know, since last spring, obviously. Um, you know, so it was. It made sense. Signed to your contract, and now he's the perfect bridge for the rookie that I believe they'll end up drafting this year. I mean, at the same time, they do believe in him. Like they do think that he is a starting caliber quarterback. They do believe that he can win games. And Anthony Lynn, particularly more than anyone else, believes it because he did it when he was the offensive coordinator in Buffalo, and then later the interim coach in 2016 before he took the Chargers job. There's familiarity there. He does a lot of the things that Anthony Lynn wants to do. You know, one thing that Lynn really wants to do is. You know, not necessarily overhaul the offense, but add a lot more quarterback movement, a lot more play action, bootlegs, that kind of stuff, things that he have, that has worked well for him in, in the past as a play caller that he just wasn't able to do because Rivers is not mobile enough. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both. You know, from a roster building, you know, sort of big picture perspective of the general manager, Tom Telesco, this is a perfect scenario for him to now go get his rookie quarterback and have a talented rookie, a talented quarterback on a rookie deal, which is what every general manager is dreaming of. And for Lynn, it's a guy with starting experience who does a lot of things he, he, that he wants to do and does a lot of those things well. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of both in my mind. Hey, you say they like Tyrod Taylor. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think there's a lot of truth in that. But do they like him better than Cam Newton? I know that, that the Chargers <laughs> were heavily involved in the Tom Brady sweepstakes end up falling up short in that regard. But then all this craziness happens with Cam. Cam gets released, and everybody starts talking about, oh, the Chargers, the Chargers, the Chargers. He'd be a perfect spot for Cam Newton. Then he obviously trolls the world and, and puts out the picture of him and Tyrod working together, which uh, I absolutely love when athletes <laughs> drive fans insane when they do stuff like that. But to kind of, to kind of a serious note, how how realistic is this Cam stuff? We hear secondhand news, if you will. We, we're, we're living in a Madden world where it's like, oh, this guy's available. Let's just pick him up for this team. But I'd love to hear from somebody that's really covering the team closely. Is this something that they would consider bringing in Cam Newton? Or is it just a national media narrative that's blown up? So, so it would be, in my opinion, it would be organizational negligence not to be looking into every single quarterback option available to you. 
like that and and, and Tom Telesco is that kind of decision maker he's extremely pragmatic so you can bet that he's going through every single option and, and did this before free agency to see okay what what's available what makes sense from a cap perspective and and go from there you know the, the tricky thing with cam is and this is sort of the hypothetical i keep posing is like what would the situation be if there was no pandemic and all these guys could get the physicals with the team doctors and there weren't any hindrances to that that's the biggest issue with cam because like right now you can't get a physical you can't right. bring cam newton in front of your team doctor and get him assessed to the point where you feel comfortable giving him the amount of money that he's going to command on the open market which is why I think he ultimately is going to have to sell for less money because teams just can't confirm the necessary things, you know, medically that they need to confirm. If we didn't have the pandemic going on, I think the Chargers would be much more interested in Camden. But right now it's just a huge risk. If you can't check every medical box that you need to, you can't give that guy $10 million a year or whatever he's going to command. And like, you look at what, you know, some backups have signed for this offseason. Marcus Mariota signed, you know, at $9 million in average annual value. You'd expect Cam Newton to be in that camp, in that general ballpark. Are you really going to give a quarterback that kind of money if you can't confirm that his health is fine? And, you know, Adam Schefter's on Twitter, you know, tweeting that he's all cleared medically and that people in the, you know, Cam's camp have cleared him medically. But, like, you're running a multi-billion dollar organization. Like, you need to confirm this stuff yourself. And that's why I find it hard to believe that they're going to bring Cam Newton in. You know, Tyrod's already under contract. He's going to be on the team in 2020. So now you go out, you bring Cam Newton in, and then does that change what you do with your first-round pick? I just don't see the Chargers passing up on an opportunity to get a quarterback on a rookie deal. That is such a key thing building a team. And I always look back to the Chiefs, what the Chiefs did this past year. Like, they were able to take on that awful Sammy Watkins contract because they had Patrick Mahomes on the rookie deal. Right. Mahomes had a $4.2 million cap hit this past year and was the best player in the league. Like, you can't like you can't really put value on how important that is to building a roster, and so I don't think the Chargers at pick six are going to pass up on that opportunity. Right. So you now you've alluded to it here at, at pick six. We feel very strongly that the, the Chargers are going to go up and get that quarterback of the future. Tom Telesco is a pragmatic general manager. This is what makes sense for the way the team is currently constructed. I agree with you. But let's say at six we take Andrew Thomas, Isaiah Simmons. We go a different direction. The Chargers still have an early pick in the second round, and there's still going to be fringe first round, early second round quarterbacks. Maybe Jordan Love is there in the 20s. Maybe you like Jalen Hurts. We can do some of that mobile stuff that Anthony Lynn wants to do. Are the Chargers a candidate to trade back up in the first round to select a quarterback if they pass at six? Are they going to be a team that's going to be willing to move that many future picks to get that fifth-year option on a quarterback? Or do you think they're more likely to sit around on day two, wait for a guy to fall to them who they like, and see if they can develop him out? I mean, listen, I'm not ruling anything out. And you could totally foresee a scenario where Isaiah Simmons is there at six. They see him as this versatile piece that would be perfect to pair with Aaron James and, and play him in that will linebacker role in Gus Bradley's defense. And, and all of a sudden you go from having a fringe elite defense to like a you know, top of the league defense and try and get that quarterback at the end of the first round. You know, it's Herbert falling. I doubt that actually happens. Jordan Love to me is a little – he's disconcerting just because of the interceptions last year. And – one of the primary reasons they decided to move on to Phillip Rivers was the turnovers, and they believe Tyrod is a better option because he's historically one of the best at protecting the football in NFL history. I mean, of guys with a 1,000 or more passing attempts in their career, it's Tyrod Taylor and Aaron Rodgers, the only two quarterbacks with an interception rate below one and a half. Like, he doesn't turn it over. Wow. And he's really cautious. But with that in mind, like, 
are they really going to go from Phillip Rivers, whose main flaw was his turnovers, to a quarterback that threw 17 interceptions in the Mountain West last year? Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my, my only concern. And I'm of the camp, like, if you're if from a roster-building perspective, like, you get your quarterback. You know, I kind of respect what Gettleman did when he went and, and drafted Daniel Jones where he did because he said, this is my quarterback, and I'm not going to risk losing him. And I feel like that's the approach you have to have. Sure. You can't hope that Herbert falls or say, oh, you know – Maybe Jordan loves there and the first night can trade back in. Like you have a premium pick right now. You're not supposed to be there every year if you're doing this thing correctly and, and running a proper organization. Yeah. If you're at six and a, and a quarterback you like is there, you take him. And that's just my approach. So let's let's take quarterback out of the equation. Let's look at the rest of the roster before we put you on the clock and have you make a pick. When you do look at this team, and we talked about some of the reasons why they fell short, but you know, only five wins. There's a lot more than just you know one or two things that are going wrong. It's kind of some some things all around the roster that contribute to it in big ways or small. So, what are the biggest needs on this team that they have to address in some form or fashion in order to compete better in 2020? So that's the interesting thing is their biggest need right now is left tackle, and at six there are going to be at least two really, really good tackles, probably three tackles, maybe even four tackles available, and you can have your pick from. You know, they traded Russell Okun straight up for Trey Turner, so now they have this gaping hole at left tackle. You know, they had they drafted Trey Pipkins in the third round last year, but he was really a developmental project. Because of all the injuries, he came in and played a little bit, but he was really in over his head. I don't know if you can go into the season relying on him as your starting left tackle. So it would make a lot of sense for them to take a tackle at six. You know, in my mind, though, if they really believe Trey Pipkins can develop into that long-term starter, like signing Jason Peters to a one-year deal to give Trey another year to develop and to have a guy with experience there at left tackle, that makes a lot of sense. But obviously, that hasn't come to fruition yet. Um, but like, if they don't go with quarterback at six, it's got to be a tackle. That's I'm I'm pretty convinced of that. But then you start talking about some of these defensive players that are available, and and let's go back to the Jaguars last year. This is a perfect perfect example. Josh Allen falls to them at seven, and like, there's no way they can not take him. They have to take him. He's too talented of a player, and it turns out to be a great pick. They had all these other needs, but yeah. you know, if that really good defensive player drops to you, like these guys that are running the NFL teams are going to take a player if they feel like he has that much value at pick six. Um, so, I mean, I've, and I've written about it. I think it's possible that they go in that direction, uh, but I think that the chances are pretty slim. I think it's either quarterback or tackle. And when you talk about needs, left tackle right now is, is number one on the list, even more than quarterback. I think. Ben, can you imagine? Right, so we, ben, can you imagine real quick Isaiah Simmons and Derwin James on the same defense? Right. People say this. And what like, would we do know, with like, ourselves? Like, what would that? <laughs> right. People, people are like, like that would be insane. It wouldn't be insane. Like it wouldn't be football. It wouldn't be human. Like we wouldn't <laughs> right, even recognize what was yeah, happening. Yeah, it'd be like a field. different game, dude. Yeah, but uh, so we well, let's talk about the pick at six because it, it sounds like quarterback's going to be the desperate need. And that's what makes sense given how this free agency period dialed out for them. Obviously, the big one remaining on the board is Justin Herbert. So I want to hear your pick, who it's going to be at six. And if it's Herbert, we talked about having a more mobile quarterback. We, we talked about Phillip Rivers and protecting the football or having a more turnover-prone season. Some of the issues of pressure that Phillip Rivers had. And obviously, Herbert has some issues when he gets pressured as well. What does he bring to the Chargers that you didn't get previously with Rivers? Why does he fit for Anthony Lynn if Herbert's a pick at six? So, yeah, Herbert's a pick at six, and, and ultimately it comes down to, to mobility. Um, and that's one of the things Justin Herbert does really well, and, and he's going to be able to do the things that Anthony Lynn wants to do. You know, the, my only concern with Herbert at six is that is he going to be able to command this locker room and command this huddle? We talk about 
Keenan Allen, talk about Mike Williams, talk about Austin Eckler. These are guys with big personalities who have proven themselves in the NFL. Is Justin Herbert the type of guy that's going to be able to get into that huddle whenever he comes in, whether it's week five or whether it's 2021, and command the respect of the locker room and command the respect of, the, of that huddle? That would be my only concern. But from a, from a physical tools perspective, from an intelligence perspective, there's a lot to love about Justin Herbert, and he fits very well into what Anthony Lynn's trying to do. Um, and the one thing with that whole commanding locker room and huddle, Tyrod Taylor does that. He has the respect of those guys in that locker room 100%. I can guarantee you that. Um, so it would be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. But like I've been saying this whole time, you know, talented quarterback on a rookie deal is the prize goal for any general manager yeah and so you go you get justin herbert and if he needs a year to develop you give him a year to develop and you have that luxury because you have tyrod right. in your contract yeah two all right i got two quick follow-up questions one if two was still on the board and it was two and justin herbert that were here would you have taken tua and do you think the team would be more in on taking tua yes yes to both i would take tua and i think the team would take two as okay. well. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so, so I would if I was running the show, I would be trying to trade up. I'd be I'd be targeting okay, the that, this, three. This is this and is I'd perfect. Be trying to trade up because that was my second follow up question. Because even going back to the Daniel yeah. Jones point that you made with Dave Gettleman, if you are in a situation where it's quarterback, like you've got to get the quarterback, and it sounds like you know, sure they're comfortable with Tyrod Taylor, but it's not like they're trying to make him the future. And so, if that's the case, and you know you got to get in front of the Dolphins to probably get Tua, do you think the Chargers are really looking at trading up to three or two even? They have to. Like, I, like, you have to be at least inquiring about trading up. My issue is, can they put together a package that's better than what Miami can offer? Right. And now the answer to that question is no, because Miami has right. like a million picks in the top 100. So like, there's, the Chargers have their seven picks. They don't have any additional picks. They didn't get a comp pick. So they don't really have a lot of draft capital to work with. And there's no real scenario where they can put a package of draft capital together that's better than what the Dolphins can offer. The only thing you hope is that the Dolphins have Herbert and Tua rated equally, and they don't really care, and they sit at five, and they sort of let the Chargers move up to get their guy. Um, like, I think ultimately, you know, the Jets gave up three second-round picks to move up from six to three in 2017 to get Sam Darnold. It's because of the way the market is set up right now, because of how many picks Miami has. Like, I think it's going to take more than that. And as I alluded to before, Telesco is such a pragmatic decision maker and rarely, rarely, if ever, overpays for anything, whether it's on the open market or in trade, hmm. that I don't imagine that he's going to give up the necessary capital to jump Miami, which is why I think they'll, they'll end up sitting at six and taking whichever quarterback falls in there. Daniel, that was awesome inside info, man. We really appreciate you getting us caught up on, uh, on the Chargers and the potential draft strategy and obviously making uh, Justin Herbert the, uh, the pick here at number six for our guest mock. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Number seven, Carolina Panthers. Man, what a pick this is. We talked about the Chargers being an important pick. Carolina can go a million different ways. I'm excited about that. You guys yep. keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.